the Old Testament reading this morning is Job chapter 38 and Job chapter 40 verses 2 through 5 and 42 verses 2 through 5. And I'll be reading it without pause. Um, this can be found on page 531 in your pew Bibles. The Lord speaks. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no man lives, a desert with no one in it, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Can you loose the cords of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead the bear out with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who endowed the heart with wisdom or gave understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? 
Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. I know you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard you, but my eyes have seen you. Our New Testament reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which can be found on page 1152 of your pew Bible. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all my all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not angered, is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But when there are pro but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when a, a completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. 
For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. Jules, I remember when you were just a child, before you were a man, it was a long time ago. I'm going to move this. I don't need this as much as he does. Well, there's something in there. You know, Jen's usually right, so I'll just, all right, there we go. all sorts of stuff in there. It's a great mystery to you all who have never been up here. All right. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, everyone here in person, everyone uh, worshiping with us from Zoom. Uh, let's pray. And then let's talk about Job and uh, suffering. And where is God in suffering? Um, someone be willing to get me a glass of water, maybe? It's just so... Thanks, babe. Appreciate it. Um, all right, let's pray. God, uh, as Jen said, as we open the service, you welcome us to bring all of ourselves and not just our faith and our gratitude and praise, but to bring into the space, to bring before you as well, our doubt and our pain, our grief, our disappointment, even our despair. And uh, Lord, we, we still find ourselves in the midst of a hard year and for many, a particularly hard season of life. And so, Lord, wherever people are at today, we, we simply pray that you'd speak to us through your word. That you, the God who spoke through the storm to Job, would speak to us. Remind us that you are good. In the name of Jesus, all God's people prayed. Amen. All right. Um, thanks, Jen. Um, so I, I did something this last year that I at best do once a year, which is I ventured into a part of our house that doesn't often get cleaned. Um, if you've been to our house, which some of you have, many of you haven't, but we have a, a trampoline room in the back of our house because we have three small kids. Why would you not want to have a trampoline room? And when we put this 10-foot trampoline in this 10-foot room, 
and it started kind of cracking the walls a little bit. My wife was not happy with me, but uh, by the end of the first long Michigan winter, she admitted, okay, that was, that was a good idea. So anyway, so I, I spent several hours crawling underneath this where all the dog hair and all the dust and all the toys kind of get pushed. And, and it gave me uh, a few hours to listen to uh, on this app I have called Dwell, listen to a, a reading, a performance of the entirety of the book of Job. This actor reading through all 42 chapters in which we see in chapters one and two, this sort of picture of God in God's throne room, surrounded by the sons of God and this character, Satan, Satan, the accuser, makes this, has this conversation with God, which leads to all sorts of suffering in the life of this man, Job. And most of the, the book, these chapters three through 37, are these series of dialogues with Job and these three fairly unhealthy, helpful friends uh, talking about why Job is suffering, why this good man is going through so much pain. Uh, and then a fourth friend shows up, and he's a young man who's a little bit closer to the truth. And then God shows up in chapter 38, and we heard that read by Danielle for us. And, and I got to hear as I was crawling under the trampoline, scooping out dog hair and finding food that had been there way too long <laughs> that the kids had lost under a trampoline. I think it was the first time that I, I got to experience Job in, in one sitting, so to speak to kind of take it all in. And man, it was as good, it was as uh, thrilling to me as anything I've seen on Netflix recently. Uh, if you've got some place in your house that you need to deep clean uh, or some big project, you can get this Dwell app. You can do a free trial of it for a week and just, just listen to all this conversation about where is God when your experience of life is nothing but pain and torment. And I got to do some reading this week uh, and, and wrestle with this. And I ended up kind of changing my mind this week about how to read the book of Job. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But, but as I listened to it, as I cleaned under a trampoline, I, I found myself wondering how might I respond if I were in Job's shoes? What if it were me who, like Job, all of a sudden one day got news that all of my children had died in a horrible accident? And all of my money or whatever social standing I have or whatever... Uh, respect I have from people, all that, all of a sudden in a day just disintegrated. And then what if, like, what comes upon Job in a second way, what if physically I became sick and had to live with the, the torment of constant chronic pain like some of you do? Would I still show up as eagerly on Sunday morning to praise God and worship God and sing about how God is good. Sometimes, uh, you know, when Jen reads lots of, she's been reading lots of dystopian 
novels and sometimes or we'll watch a movie or something sometimes she'll say like yeah if it were me i would just i would not last very long i would just be like you know the zombies just go ahead and eat me i don't have the energy to like fight you off and and i think she probably doesn't give herself uh enough credit for how much resiliency she might have but i was trying to really sit with this question what what would it do to my faith if I didn't have a life that was filled with three lovely kids and a comfortable house and a comfortable life and a trampoline room and three bouncy little children and, you know, one of my biggest stressors in life right now being dog hair to deal with. And I honestly don't know the question of that. I don't know if I can know, or I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if I can know the answer until I've, I've been to that point. And some of you have been to that point. You have had your worst fears come to life. And yet you are here. And others have had horrendous crisis happen to them and they have walked away from God with bitterness. But it raises this question for me, why do I believe that God is good? Why do I believe that God is caring and attentive and compassionate and gracious and kind? Why do I believe that God loves me? And is it really just dependent on my circumstances? And would I still believe these things? Would I still believe that God is caring and attentive and compassionate and gracious and kind, that God loves me if my experience of life is so much harder than it is? Because as I think you all know well, when you're suffering, when your subjective experience of life becomes that of pain or of grief or of loss or disappointment or or terror, or all of the above, it can be hard to, to know, to really believe in your gut that there is a loving God who cares for you. And so what do we do with that? What do we, what do, we do when that's the case? Where do we go with that? And... Here's what I want to say to those of you who are in that state of just living your worst nightmare right now, those of you who are suffering and grieving or dealing with the darkness of mental illness, or those of you who are just dealing with the grief of loss and death, those of you who are feeling lost in doubt or so many of the ways that the human experience can be so hard, Here's what I've come, come to believe about God this week. This is my, my thesis, if you will, all right? So pay attention. The God who Job encounters in his great suffering is not a God who governs the universe from far off, obscure to us in mystery, and inaccessible in person. No, the God of Job is a God who is close, 
who is intimately involved in the care of every part of God's creation. And who, like a loving parent, always simply desires our good. I, uh, I had my mind changed this week about the book of Job uh, by reading a chapter by a philosopher named Eleanor Stump in her book, Wandering in Darkness. She's got a, a chapter just on Job within this, this book uh, about the problem of suffering. And in it, she critiques what has become the most common understanding of the book of Job. And uh, she critiques this common understanding of the book of Job, which, which earlier in this week was the understanding of Job, which I had planned to preach to you, which goes something like this. God, uh, God has some kind of wager happening with Satan, and for some reason, God, to make some point to Satan, has Job, even though he is a good man, endure all this suffering? And Job, in his insistence, just keeps saying, I'm a good man. Why is this happening? And he demands an answer, an explanation from God as to why he is suffering. And he has all these dialogues. And then by chapter 38, towards the end of the book, God shows up and God puts Job in his place and says, who do you think you are? And shows him all the ways that he has been around forever and all the ways he governs the universe and, and puts Job in his place, basically saying, I am all powerful. I am all wise. I am God. And you are not. And Job falls into his knees in humility and says, oh, my, I didn't realize how prideful I was. And he humbles himself and God blesses him. But Job never gets an explanation for why he suffers. That, that's the understanding that I learned in seminary and maybe the understanding that some of you have of this, this book. And, and a lot of that is right. There's certainly those themes of God is God alone. We are not. We do not see the full perspective. Earlier in the week, I had this outline of what I thought was a pretty good sermon to come up here and to tell you, like, maybe just start with a list of all the things that we don't know about the universe and how, how much of life we have no control over and how blind we really are. And to quote from Psalm 131 about my eyes are not proud. My heart is not haughty. I do not concern myself with things too wonderful for me to know. And to call us to a, a, a certain humility, to call us to put ourselves in our place and to acknowledge that we just don't know the answer to the problem of suffering. And again, there's all that is true, but what Eleanor Stump, what, what she helped me see in her critique of that understanding of Job was that the real question for Job was never, is God, God in the sense of all powerful or is God wise? The question rather for Job is, is God good? And the problem with the, that common understanding of God showing up and putting Job in his place is that, and even earlier in the week, I felt this tension. It doesn't quite woo me to want to worship God. It makes me want to acknowledge that God is great and we are not, and God can see and we are blind. But it doesn't move me to feel loved by God. And that understanding of this deal with the devil and all that, like, it doesn't help me believe that God 
loves me like a loving parent loves their child. And Stump says it completely misses what she says is the key to God's speech in the book of Job. Quick water break here. And here's what she says is the key to God's speech in the book of Job that we had read. She says, Job comes to understand not just that God is powerful and God is wise, but comes to believe, comes to see that God is good through what she calls the second person language of God's speech. So if you remember from English class, there's first person, I language, second person, you language, third person, you know, he, she, they. Uh, She says, notice the way God describes God's interactions with even the inanimate things of creation. And I'll just kind of walk through and point out some of these things. So, So the Lord finally speaks to Job which in itself, notice, is a second person. God shows up. God hears this dialogue among a few people, and God shows up and directly addresses Job. And asks questions like, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Right there, we already have this, this picture of this kind of God delighting in God's creation, God participating intimately with God's creation and doing it for the de- delight of creation itself. While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. And then he, He goes on, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? Notice the parenting image here, the mother image, God as mother, God giving birth to the sea. And some some hear this, the common understanding again is that Job, that God is, you know, stressing how God subdues creation, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from And Stump says, no, think of it again more as parenting in the way that a parent has to set boundaries. A loving parent will set boundaries on their child. When I made the clouds, the sea's garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, here's that second person, right? God directly addressing, speaking to the sea. When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Stump says, you, you know, God could have said, I declared. God, could, God didn't even have to. God could have just made it so that the seas, proud waves halt here. Or God could have declared, you know, just publicly, impersonally, here is where the, the seas, waves will halt. But no, God speaks to the seas. You see the slight difference there? Again, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? A parent who is guiding the dawn into its place. 
that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it. If you keep reading through these, these few chapters, you see again and again, God so intimately involved, interacting with God's creation, speaking to, and even, even these inanimate objects are responsive to this God. He asked Job, what is the way to the abode of light? Again, this parenting image, walking light to its home. Can you take them to their places? This picture of God almost holding light's hand, walking along. Do you know the plaz to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You've lived so many years. Again, the parenting image, does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? When the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen. I mean, I could do this for a long time. It's all, if, and, and I read this so many times. I love this speech. And so much of it I had memorized, like God's grandeur, God showing up and God asserting God is God. And yet I'd never seen this before. This, this second person, this God speaking to and with even the inanimate objects. Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? saying, here we are. And so what Dr. Stump ends up saying is that maybe what happens for Job, who remember earlier when he's talking with his friends, says, I don't care if God is God. I don't care if God is all powerful. Even if God is God, but God is not good. Job vows that he will not submit to a God who is not good. He will not, even though that God is all-powerful, he will not praise a God who is not good. And again, often this common understanding of this book that Stump critiques ends up saying like, well, he falls on his knees and he, he praises even if he doesn't yet see that God is good. But Stump says, no, he does come to see that God is good. He is, in a sense, given an answer to the problem of suffering. And no, he doesn't. No, we don't get to see the big picture. We don't get to know why this happened or why that happened. But he does come to see the character of God. He sees the heart of God. He sees that God, again, is not just a God who governs the universe from far off, obscured in mystery, shrouded behind some veil of incomprehensibility. No, this is a God who intimately participates in the care of God's creation. And if this is true for the waters and, and the animals, and there's all this beautiful imagery, there's this great image of the wings of the ostrich flap joyfully. They cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork and yet God, God sort of, uh, Stump points out, shows how the ostrich is sort of a careless mother. Do any of you ever feel like a careless mother or careless father? <laughs> I found this so comforting. She lays her eggs on the ground, God says, and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain. 
for she did not. And then yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. And again, it's this image of like this ostrich is struggling as a mother. And yet God sees to it. God is so intimately involved that God participates in the care, the protection of these little ones. And this, all this parenting imagery, all this, the immediacy of God so present with such loving care for creation and God showing up to talk to Job. And, and some will critique, she says, that, that, you know, this speech sounds harsh. And yet she says, again, if you are a parent, you know that sometimes this is how you need to talk to your kids. That sometimes that the soft, gentle approach doesn't communicate the love and concern you have for a kid in the same way that sitting your kid down and saying, you are out of line. Don't you know these things? That, that sometimes this is the form that loving parental, parental address takes. That this is what convinces Job not just that God is all powerful or that God is wise, but that God is good. And he falls to his knees and he prays a humble confession and he repents and he says this. He says, I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My eyes, here's the, the line we ended on. My eyes had heard of you, but now, Job says, my eyes have seen you. I remember reading a biography on uh, one of our professors who went to Regent College of Vancouver, a guy named J.I. Packer, who wrote books like Knowing God, um, well-known book in the 70s. And uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he was still teaching classes in his late 80s, early 90s, uh, while we were students there. And he spent, he, you know, had a long career as a theologian. And in his, uh, in the biography of, of his life, I think it was in an interview with him, he talks about how he, for many years, was a Christian, and he, for many years, was a theologian even and taught about God, and yet he said he didn't actually yet know God. And he distinguishes between knowing about God and knowing God, of being able to talk about God, about being able to do theology and having something like a personal relationship, knowing this God and feeling known by this God. And he describes it, he said it was like, I was standing outside a house with a window and I was out in the cold and looking in, in this warm family scene. And he taught theology like that for many years, he said, standing on the outside, describing this, this warm, loving scene, but not personally experiencing it. And I think for, for many of us, maybe for, for some of you, you're at a point where you feel like I'm convinced that God is 
real, that God exists. I, I'm convinced of the apologetics. I, I, I'm not convinced by the atheists or the agnostic arguments. And I believe that God is God and that I'm held accountable for my life. And there really is good and evil and what we do matters. And, and you show up because God is the creator and you are a creature. And yet there's still something different between that and knowing a God who is caring and compassionate and kind and loving and feeling close to that God and knowing that God doesn't just feel that way vaguely towards others or towards the universe, but that God feels that way towards you. One of the, the amazing things in Job is uh, that gets lost is that God shows up and God speaks. Again, that Job says, my ears had heard of you, like looking in from the outside, but now my eyes have seen you. That shift from knowing about to actually knowing to firsthand experience. And I have never been lifted up into the whirlwind, into a storm, and, and God doesn't have a body, right? So it's not as though Job saw God with his eyes in the sense of light reflected, you know, off the way the mechanics of our eyes work. But, but there was some kind of intimate personal experience there enough for Job to say, now I have seen you. When, uh, when we sit down for meals as a family, we, we give the kids this option. We can say, okay, do you guys want to do talking prayer? Or do you want to do singing prayer? Or do you want to do listening prayer? And they always go, movie prayer, which they kind of made up. And we have to tell them that's not really a thing. <laughs> Apparently, movie prayer is like you think of your favorite scene in a movie. And then you say amen. And I'm trying, to, I'm trying really hard to like frame that as like, okay, where's God in that? Maybe we can frame this as like, it, what, what do you love about that scene? And whatever is good in that God is in. So how can we give that back to it? But, but usually we're just like, the food's getting cold. Movie prayer is not a thing. Just pick one of the other three options. <laughs> uh, and so when, we, when they pick listening prayer, it's, it's so fascinating to me because we'll sit and we'll, you know, we're lucky if we get to a minute and usually like two of the three of them are still and one's like chomping on chips or rattling something. But, but we usually preface it by saying like, okay, we're going to sit and we're going to pray. We're going to, you know, prayers talking to God. Sometimes we talk, but sometimes we let God talk and we're just going to listen. And we sit for a minute in quiet. Those of you who have been coming to the Sunday evening Vespers, we've been doing this. Uh, we were doing this for those four weeks for five minutes at a time. And I would say to them, we listen for God to say something to us and we don't hear God's voice with our ears. Usually that hasn't been my experience, but, but we hear God's voice in our hearts and in our minds. If we really are still enough, if we quiet ourselves, if we slow down, and if we stop, if we show up, if we want badly enough like Job to have an encounter with God, and then we listen for a minute and then we say amen. And then I'll ask, you know, 
so what do you think God might have been saying to you? And then we'll usually check in and say, like, it sounds like God said God loves me forever and ever and ever. And we'll say, that sounds like something God would say. If it's something like God says Hazel needs to go to bed early at night, we'll say, like, I don't know if that's what God, <laughs> I wonder if that's what God would say. But it's amazing the ways that God shows up. And it's amazing the way, even for me, even if it's just 30 seconds or 40 seconds, that I can just hear a word like peace, my peace I gave you, or just a, a feeling sometimes of comfort. Sometimes it's inarticulate. It's that groans too deep for words. But in my experience, God speaks. God shows up. And maybe you haven't felt close to God in a long time. I guess the first question I would ask is, are, are you showing up? Are you putting yourself in that position? to hear God speak. And sometimes we do, there is something called dark night of the soul, which is not just that you're ignoring, you know, your spiritual disciplines, you actually are faithfully showing up. And yet you've been going through a long season of experiencing God as silent. And if that's where you at, where you're at, I want to encourage you to just keep, keep course, keep listening that that is an experience well known by God's people in the scriptures and that you are not alone in that. But, but keep showing up and keep waiting on God. But what does it mean for us to live serving a God who isn't just the great God of the universe, who isn't just all wise and all knowing, but a God who loves us so dearly, more than any parent has ever loved with tender love their child. And I'll, I'll end with just one story uh, that came to mind as I was thinking about this. This, this parenting image, imagery that, that God, God shows Job, the loving care through which God governs the universe. And there's still all sorts of unanswered questions in this, right? There's still we could talk about the opening chapters and the epilogue. And um, it's really interesting. Just quick side note, Eleanor Stump, this is a sermon for next time we get to Job, maybe. But she even reinterprets that wager between God and Satan, Satan, as through this, this same God as loving parent. And it's interesting. She notes some of the details like, Satan is described as one of these sons of God, whatever that means, who show up and it's this family setting and he shows up and, and God says, where have you been? He says, coming and going. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? And, and, and Stump goes through showing how this is a loving parent who has this restless child who's not fully reconciled, who's still connected to the family, but not fully recognized and who's coming and going, but with this restlessness. And perhaps God is a loving parent and pointing to Job is, is trying to show Satan that don't you see the goodness? Don't you see my goodness, my love? And Satan snaps back. Anyway, it's fascinating how even that, she says, isn't just to be written off as like some primitive opening. But what if we take those chapters with the same seriousness, the same, you know, approach them assuming the same artistic, literary, theological sophistication is the rest of the work. What does it look like for us to live into this belief 
that God loves us as any father or mother or parent has ever loved a child. And so I'll end with this story of uh, Walter Wangren in, uh, he has a, a beautiful little book called Letters from the Land of Cancer. And he begins by telling the story of being diagnosed uh, with cancer and being given uh, a short time to live and all that that stirred up in him. And, and he talks about coming back to these early childhood experiences, growing up in a cold, uninsulated farmhouse in Edmonton, Alberta, in the, shout out to Jen, in the, in the middle of winter, and memories of lying sick in their attic. You know, they were the kind of farm family and lots of kids and him being in his bunk in the corner and being just being sick and lying awake through the night, just tormented with pain and being this little boy. And he says, since he was diagnosed with cancer, he keeps coming back to the memory of his mother walking up the steps into the attic of, of hearing him crying in the night and coming. And he says the lamp light spilling off the walls and, and his mother coming with her gown and uh, you know, her, her sleeping gown and sitting next to him and singing him these, these simple lullabies of uh, what is it? I am Jesus precious child and how he writes about how in his battle of cancer, these, these songs from his youth and this image of his mother keep coming back to him and comforting him. That image of, God, he says, in the voice of his mother's singing. And I don't know what your experience of your parent parents has been. Sometimes it's hard to, to know a loving God when you've had a harsh parent. But, but what might it be, what might it look like for you to believe uh, that God, the God of Job, who showed up for Job, wants to show up for you. Let's, uh, let's pray together. God, we thank you that, uh, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are not just good in some cold, objective, morally righteous, distant sort of way, but that you are good because you are a God of love who everything you do is done out of love for us, for all people, for all of creation. And that even the mystery of suffering, even the mysteries about judgment and death, Lord, all these things help us to hold them in the context of an awareness of your great loving kindness, of your intimate participation, that you are the one who is, as Augustine says, nearer to us than we are to ourselves, that you are the one who holds our hearts at every pumping heartbeat, that you are the one who sustains our every breath. 
even in those moments in life where grief is so hard and heavy that our breath feels stripped from us. Lord, remind all of us today that this is your character. And give us the faith and the hope and the love that that Job came to experience by seeing your face. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.